Hello and welcome once again to Big Boss Battles Big Boss Babble. This week I'm here with the dangerous duo of Dan. Me? Yes. Hello. Hello. Yes, you are part of the dangerous duo then, you should know this. And Toby. Hi. 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 We're like a WWE tag team that no one's told either of us about. <laughs> Indeed. Anyway, let's get right onto this. So, Dan, you've just literally this second come off of the uh, the what is it? The I can't remember the name of the game now. That was a good start, wasn't it? Hey, the Elite Stream is what you've just watched, and yeah, you're yeah. particularly excited about it. So, why don't you uh, give us a few words on that? Yeah, so Frontier Developments have just finished a live stream of their various products that they're working on, and there was the whole, you know, theme park, and their other games, Jurassic Park things, probably there as well, because they were working on that, and that looks quite cool. But most important to me of all of the stuff they're working on is almost certainly Elite Dangerous, because it's just so ambitious in general. Everything else seems to have a seems to have a roof on it, but. Uh, but Elite Dangerous kind of keeps going and going. And so they were t- what they were talking about is the next part of the Horizon season pass. As a matter of fact, the way they were talking about it, it didn't sound like it was the Horizon season pass. It sounded like literally it was going to be a new season pass, but it counts as the Horizon stuff. So the, they started off uh, by underlining that there are three core principles about them building the game as they go forward. And that was building on the foundations that they've got, i.e. improving them and tweaking them to keep them relevant. Expanding the narrative, be that the background of the universe at large, or be that on a personal level. And then new features, which will build on the two of those and bring the two of those together. So the new series is called Beyond. And they're doing it in four phases uh, all across next year. Quarter one is the initial launch. Uh, there'll be two content updates, which will presumably be quarterly. And then there'll be a large update in quarter four that will kind of finish off the little se- series. Sounds awesome. Quarter one will be quality of life improvements. Uh, they're going to fix stuff like uh, engineering to make sure that any time that you do go off and grind loads of stuff to get in upgrade it's actually an upgrade so kind of, uh, yeah uh, rather than you know spending ages and getting rewarded with something that's a little bit worse than what you've already got uh there's going to be some crime and punishment tweaks that mean that system authority ships will be upgraded essentially so they can they can do more they have more in their power because at the minute uh players who are being cheeky chappies and on the run from the law can generally just outgun most of them or just boost away from them. There's no real, you know, they're not real. They're not really an authority, as it were. Uh, they have no real power over the players because the players don't play by the same rules. But that's looking to be changed. There's also going to be a big update on trade uh, so that there'll be much more trade data available for people. At the minute, uh, a chap that works with me has a website that he goes to on his phone that has got pretty much all of the live trade data loaded onto it so he doesn't have to go into the little interface in the game and so he doesn't have to research certain bits and buy trade data so presumably they're going to kind of cut out that middleman as it were and you know put it in so that this place is historically good at this this place is historically good at that 
And so you can plan these long journeys and make enough to cover the, your fuel and cover your whatever as you go on these longer journeys from point to point. So that's pretty cool. And then they're going to add in things called wing missions, which are missions that you play with friends and are obviously harder and they're scowled to be based on the fact that you're in these wing missions. And yeah, so that should be pretty cool. The game's also undergoing uh, some major changes in appearance. Uh, they are redoing some of the planetary tech, revisiting shaders. Uh, there will be new details on the planets. Uh, they want the the tech that generates kind of boulders and debris on the planets to do much larger and much smaller things. Their goal for quarter four, actually, is to have it so that kind of, well, the picture that they showed was this big kind of glacier planet with jagged shards of ice sticking out here and there that honestly looked like you were kind of dodging and weaving around an obstacle course if you were to drive along it. They want that kind of stuff because at the minute, most planets are kind of a flat surface, some stuff you can mine, a bit of a ravine that you jump and boost over. Uh, a couple of tiny little craters, and that's it all the way around. They really want to add some more character to the planets, and hopefully that'll be coming over the next year. That's the plan, at least. They're going to add more to the game's narrative. Uh, there was this big thing about the Guardians, uh, who had these artifacts that were littered here or there, and that led up to the Fargoid story. They're going to keep doing that. They've said that what we've seen so far is just one thread of this big story that they've got planned. Uh, one of the major overhauls that I was very pleased to see was that the main way that most people find out about the story of the game as it's progressing is through something called Galnet, Galactic Network, uh, which is this kind of news network that you can read when you stop in stations. It's pretty cool. It's always got lots of detail, lots going on in there. There's always loads to read. Uh, there's also local news as well. So what they're doing is they're releasing an audio update for it so that I assume this is just the bigger stories rather than the local ones, but the bigger story, but some of them will be read out by a narrator and you can tune into it while you're flying somewhere. So if you're on a particularly kind of, I suppose, not boring, but a long haul, you can turn on the Galnet news and it will read off this news spoken to you like a radio station. So you can stay up to date while you're literally on the grind, which is really cool. Do we know who's going to be reading the news? Uh, it sounds like the same uh, voice actress as does the uh, ship at the minute, but presumably, oh, I don't know, actually, because the, the thing with Elite is it's got all of these super cool voice packs. You can download voice packs of kind of famous actors or of random people. Is there one for Brian Blessed? There it actually is, yeah. Right, well, I'm <laughs> going to buy this game. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't bought it already, actually. It's really good. Uh, I highly recommend getting it and... You know, just literally spending thirty-five or forty quid on a on a Hotas joystick, and and just literally just you know trading or smuggling or shooting the night away. It's it's yeah. really good fun. Yeah, I, re honest, I regret every day that I don't play that game. You know, there's, there's a couple of reasons I haven't got it. Is one, when it originally came out, I didn't have a PC that could run it, so it kind of passed me by a bit. And then the more I hear about it, the more I think I'm not going to have any kind of life at all if I buy this game. The secret is in uh, clearing clearing your schedule for the night 
and and saying kind of like I'll play it for a couple of hours when you know you've not got to do anything afterwards because then if you stay up till four o'clock you're fine but if you kind of get in from work and go I'll play it for half an hour then you you know you won't get anything done because it's so easy to go I'll stop here oh yeah yeah that's an easy mission I'll pick that up and you know before you know it you're planning this kind of 16 stop journey to try and drop off this initial mission that you picked up while dropping off these other missions on the way. And it's just, uh, it captures that, that kind of risk reward loop that's in a lot of mobile games. It captures it in a very natural way. Uh, you always feel like you're succeeding, even though you know that when you take a mission of this sort, you're going to be interrupted along the way by some random pirate. Every time it happens, it feels a little bit different and it, it still feels kind of like, oh, pirates again. Of course there's pirates because I'm here. It, I don't know. It, it It's kind of a – it's perfection of that subgenre of the of the space shooter, I guess, of the of the space trading game. Yeah. Did, did you ever play the original one? No, but I, I had the second one on floppy disk uh, alongside Lemmings and the first Civilization. Uh, and that was kind of like my, uh, I suppose it was what indoctrinated me to PC gaming all that time back. Before that, I just had uh, things that plugged into the telly, whereas that was the first thing that I remember, you know, shoving into the computer when it uh, when it came to... PCs. Although that said, I could not play Elite Frontier or whatever it was called for for putty whatsoever. Could not figure it out. But I was only a young lad at the time. Yeah. I must admit, it does look like a game that's going to be rather complicated to get into initially as well. Don't fool yourself. Just literally thirty-five quid. Buy the Frostmaster Hotas. Plug it in. Recalibrate the controls. Log on at the same time as me or Toby or someone or anyone fly a couple of missions in our wing and before you know it you'll be going hey look i just did a backflip and shot that guy in the face yeah <laughs> see there's there's how much i knew about it i didn't even know it was multiplayer oh mate <laughs> <laughs> so what it is is it's it is multiplayer but at the same time it's single player because all of the servers are shared you're always dialing into the servers which is obviously a big point of contention with modern gaming yeah so you can't play but, offline as it were exactly yeah but the reason for that is because all of the stations have live economies. Yeah. So if I am in multiplayer with Toby and we're running a massive job, you know, we've got dozens upon dozens of slaves in our hold, sorry, uh, workers that need to be transported in our holds, <laughs> and we land in a station that you're right next to and we sell them on the black market, that will change the economy. So that economy is always rolling and players will affect other players' economies even if that other player is playing offline. What's interesting about the game is that even though when you're playing online, there's loads of other human players rattling about, I've never really had that many negative interactions with humans. Most of the time it's the AI that are being pains and uh, pulling you out of... Pulling you out of oh, I've got the terms now. Interdicting you. Uh, I did have one human do it, uh, he, cause he was milling around cause there's always this one system that you start in and he was hanging around there. He had a massive kind of warrant on his head, but the person that eventually killed him literally became a multi-billionaire at that point. And I 
think if I recall correctly, they actually gave a bunch of the money away to people by buying resources and dumping them in the nearby area. Awesome. So there's definitely a kind of sense of community about it. Awesome. I might have to check it out then at some point. It is It is well worth checking out. And even if you just start off offline and, and give it a quick, you know, toy around and, you know, and then if you're finding it a bit slow to get to the point where you get a ship that suits the way you play, uh, because the ships follow a kind of tiered system, or at least I felt that they did, there's kind of a fighter-focused one or a hauling-focused one or a kind of all, all-rounder. Uh, if you feel that it's a bit slow to get to that point, which I think is literally just the tens of thousands, the first couple of ships, then you can always pair up with one of us and go on a bit of a foray. So the subject of that, actually, there are going to be more ships added to the game, including one that was in the earliest Elite game and featured in this one thus far. Let me find out the name of it one second. So the big ship that they're introducing back from the previous one is the Crate, uh, which was something that was in the first two. They're also adding in something called the Chieftain, which is a kind of more military-focused one because there's now the Fargoids to fight as well. The final, uh, the biggest update, I suppose, is that they're adding in something called Squadrons, which are essentially clans for the game. Uh, the idea being that it enhances communications between people who are playing together. Uh, the people can bundle together and buy their own fleet carriers, which are these super large vessels that are mobile bases, and you can stop off there and refuel or respawn or rearm, uh, which completely changes the way that people use space now because they don't have to go off and hang around relatively near human space. It means people mm. can operate out in the darkness. So, you know, that's pretty cool. They're also overhauling mining as well to make it a bit more exciting. They want the payout of it, the whole kind of like finding a vein of something valuable to be a little bit more celebratory. And they also want a bigger danger, uh, more AI targeting you, which helps other players on their downtime because I love nothing more when I've not got a mission than floating around in an asteroid belt, picking off pirates. So that ties in really well. Uh, but yeah, there was a whole bunch more stuff that they didn't actually touch on. Uh, but in general, as ever, I suppose, it should be an interesting year for Elite Dangerous, which is a game that I love playing and I wish I spent more time playing. Excellent. Well, thank you for that, Dan. That was a very interesting rundown of the uh, the Elite stream that you've uh, just watched. So uh, next up, PUBG has decided to nestle itself into our podcast topics once again. Um, and it's apparently settled to one million sales a week. Toby, anything to go over to you? Yes, this is a slight sore topic, but we have current reports that it has settled into a very stable sales per week of a million copies a week, which is, well, it's been around a couple of months now. It's got 30 million copies. It doesn't actually seem that big until you realize that's, well, a million people a week, or about 11th of London, I believe. 17th. Ah, 17th. But uh, a million is no mean feat anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, I must say, if it's if it's settled down to just a million a week, then it's practically dead, isn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, millions of uh, a week. There's no point talking about that anymore, is there? There's a big... Uh, there's a big thing uh, rattling around because I I saw that as well. Uh, I saw that it had it had averaged out. I think since it were since Gamescom, wasn't it? 
it's averaged yeah. out now at about a million a week. To be honest, even if that dips a little bit, they've made more than enough that I think even if it settled at something silly like 200,000, they'd still be making more than enough to carry on their current path. Mm, yeah. But, uh, but I did see that, or somebody brought up that they're a percentage of this could well be idle steam accounts which is something that's not really discussed uh but valve have a ridiculous amount of you know what they deem active accounts they always regularly talk about but some of these are just kind of scamming cards or in the case mm. of uh Online battlegrounds they could be scamming items because i i even though I got this some time ago, I still haven't played this, but you you mentioned in passing that you get items just by being in a match. Well, you get points, which they can buy loot boxes with, but yeah, so there is that to worry. I suppose the, the thing is, it's still not a worry for the developer because they're still getting cold hard cash regardless. Mm. It's just it may be that if the phenomenon... It, continues there may be a day one day where someone logs into a server and 80 of the 100 people are scamming although that's ridiculously unlikely i would imagine so what you're saying is then dan is that 29 million of the sales are actually made in china and (laughs) and they're all just sitting on a server farm somewhere just just idling in the game say that's definitely unlikely uh the, the game has most definitely got one of the most active oh sorry it has probably the the most active uh player base of all time i mean we mm, know that yeah. we know that that statistic's going to be beaten year on year as more people you know start playing <laughs> games but at the minute that's completely fantastic and you know can't be knocked aside and even if 10 percent of those which i don't think it's going to be that high are literally just running scams to try and get items to sell on obscure third-party websites for profit. <laughs> Even if it's that high, it's still done a ridiculous, ridiculous job. Of the matches that you've played, Toby, and I've seen you play mm-hmm. a fair bit, so I assume you've you've done more than a couple of dozen at least. Have you had Easily. many people who have kind of idled out? Can you idle out? Uh, yeah, you can. It's mostly just like one or two people, rarely. But there's a lot of people who often drop right at the end with all the AFK people, so they died pretty quickly, and, well, it's a, a few free kills for anyone else. When I you, haven't really seen it as a problem. When you hop out of the plane, uh, which... So, you fly over in a plane. I'm going to sound yep. really like I know nothing about this. You fly over in a plane. If the plane reaches the end of its journey and you've not hopped out of the plane, does it just disqualify you from the match or does it just lob you out mm. anyway at the end? Yeah, it just lobs you out. In case you are AFK but actually playing the game, just I don't know, run off to get a cup of tea or something. <laughs> British just, problems. <laughs> yeah, you just drop. You drop fairly slowly because you're not diving down. But yeah, there have been, uh, ga- there have been games where I've lagged or dropped out and like even my computer's crashed and I've logged back in and played after just, the characters just milled around. So potentially if nobody jumped out of the plane, would it dump a hundred people in the same general area? Yeah, it would. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting. So it'd be like a battle royale, but... In mass a... brawl. That'd, be, that'd actually be <laughs> yeah. quite entertaining to watch, to be honest. 
So if if I was to play the game and I was to log in uh, and I was to not jump out and I was on a particularly unfortunate server where there were a bunch of people who were AFK and so 40-odd people were dumped out of the plane at the end of its journey and I was dumped out as well, could I just run around punching everyone to death and get 40 kills? Theoretically, yes. Right. <laughs> I might play this tomorrow. Stan's <laughs> plan of attack. Feel good about myself. Pretend to be AFK. That used to work in uh, what was it? Trouble in Terrorist Town in uh, in mm-hmm. Gary's mod. Yeah. That used to work really well. You just stand still and everyone thinks you're AFK, so they walk up to you and then you just that's it. Boom, job done. Yeah, I guess there was also mentioned that PUBG is now on Xbox, but I don't really see anything about that. More people playing the game. Well, Is it live? That will get about four sales on the Xbox. Uh, How many people still play the Xbox? Well, I guess. It's got an active community. You can't deny yeah. that. It's, it's just they are trying to merge that community with PC, I would like to think. So, I don't know. I don't think that it's... I think we should save that conversation for another time. Yeah, okay. But I it think that time is being rolled out. I think the time aren't as effective as people think yeah. they are, but but they might be. I don't know. Is someone gonna buy a new console just to get a game early? That's the question. With player unknown battlegrounds, possibly. It's quite a it's quite a good one, but then. Have they? Yeah. Has anyone said that it's eventually coming to PS4? Uh, yes, it is supposed to come to PS4. That completely undermines the whole effort, then. Yeah. Everyone, everyone yeah. just waits. If, you if know, they've already announced you... it, then that's it. It's it's done. It'd just be like, oh, well, I don't want an Xbox. I'll just wait. You know, if if ten of your mates are playing it on the Xbox, then you'll get it on the Xbox. But if all of your mates are on the PlayStation, you'll all just agree to wait. You know. And yeah. you'll go around your mate Dave's house and watch him play it on PC and laugh at him and call him a silly bugger and tell him that, you know, you'll pwn him or whatever the cool kids say on when it comes out on PlayStation. Hmm. I would have to just be a little ranting. You can't play with 10 other people. The max team is four. Dindedman. But I would, ima- I would imagine oh, that there is the selling point that I'm guessing on Xbox it will have cross-compatible play with the PC, whereas on the PlayStation, probably won't, as we know what they're like. Yes, that will. Well, more players in the session, the better, really. If, if it does do that, if it does cross-play versus uh, between the Xbox and the PC, then that will be absolutely brilliant. As we know, it's made from last week's dis- discussion. As we know, it's made on the Unreal Engine, and that is capable of... Uh, yeah cross-platform multiplayer, although obviously as, once again, last week's session, uh, the the developer and the engine manufacturer might not be on good talking terms, but uh, the the grounds are there. So, Silicon Echo. Uh, this was the developer that a couple of weeks ago had over 200 of their games pulled from the Steam store have now decided to bow out of the, in air quotes, game development business, which they seem to think they are in. (laughs) So, have either of you read the article on this? I confess that I've not. I mean, 
we were talking a couple of weeks ago about uh, questionable adult material uh, games being pulled from Steam. I don't know if we even touched on the fact that these 200-odd have been yanked, but at the time it looked like Valve were finally starting to pull down games that were against their kind of what they expected on their platform. As it turns out, they kind of are, but they're kind of not. It's not a moral thing, or it's not a uh, socially moral thing. It turns out that it's literally just all of these games that were by this one publisher, which is completely overwhelming. Uh, I've, I've once again, I've not, I've not read up on it any further than that. So, uh, right. So it wasn't. It, it was one game publisher, but they had manipulated this this uh, Steam storefront. So all these games were basically almost clones of each other. So all the games are pretty much the same. Um, it made up some ridiculous amount of uh, the games that came out in two months. It was like almost half half the games that came out in these two months were just this, com- this company under their various monikers. And look, I mean, listen to this quote, right? So he said, uh, the situation has completely destroyed everything we have been working for in the past three years, and we are forced to give up game development at this point for more than one reason. Okay, mainly because our reputation is destroyed beyond repair and also for financial reasons. And this is the bit that gets me. We wish we had been warned about this before. In that case, we would fo- we would have focused on a different business plan of development. What? You mean you wouldn't have been a complete scumbag and just put up 200 asset flips to try and make a quick buck? Did I actually put effort into games? No, that's what I mean. They're all they're pretty much all asset flips and clones yeah. of one another. They all the same. So they're making themselves out to be victims. <laughs> it is an odd situation because obviously Valve pretty much opened the door to Valve pretty much opened the door to everyone when they said, you know, pay us a hundred pounds or a hundred dollars, and as soon as you made that back, you know you've broken even because uh, you've paid for your deposit and, you know, you're laughing. So when they said that, they, as far as I know, I haven't looked into it. I'm probably the worst person to talk about it. But uh, as soon as they said that, it did kind of open the floodgates, not to use that term that's been bandied around so much. But uh, so, of course, things like this are going to appear where people are literally going to flip assets and try and... I mean, if they had 200 games, they're £100 each. That's £20,000 £20, that people have put into getting these games on the storefront, expecting, if it sells at a dollar each, 100 sales or 20,000 sales across 200 products. And, you know, the industry doesn't work like that at the minute. This, this whole thing just seems really alien. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's... It just it just boggles my mind that they paint they are in this situation they're painting themselves to be a victim, whereas they know exactly what they're doing. What yeah. Steam have said is that you know that they it says, it says here so yeah so these two hundred games made up almost half of product complaints for over those two months, and that's why they looked into it and took them all down. So it's oh, just it's, another another scumbag dev trying to make a quick buck. 
And I mean, Steam put it put it here. It's just like stuff like this makes it it hard for the consumer to find games they actually want because it it just floods the storefront. See, there's an issue here because when they put a simple pay paywall on it rather than an approval wall, even that. Even Steam Greenlight's weird community and easily corrupted uh, kind of person authorization wall rather than a paywall was better than this. But when they, yeah, when they put a paywall on this, they did essentially open up the storefront like the App Store, like a mobile phone storefront. So this kind of thing is going to happen. It, it's weird, actually, that they've taken it down. Now, I understand completely that they've flooded the storefront but valve's whole thing was about curation meaning that they can allow whatever they want into it because the curation system will recommend based on what's popular and based on what is similar to what you're playing and what your friends are playing so theoretically these new games should never have barricaded anything off of the front page they should have only harassed the new releases section and the new releases section of all of the sections on Steam should be the one thing that's curated by Valve themselves, if not by a bunch of review websites. So, I mean, this is, yeah, the developers aren't victims here. They're definitely not victims here. Even if they, you know, mistakenly thought that they were running full speed into a new app store, as it were, they're still not victims here based on what they did but it does underline that there are some major flaws in Valve's Steam client. See, the thing that gets me about this is is why they couldn't, you know, it's like you say, they took away Greenlight and they brought in the, in the paywall. Why didn't they combine the two, right? So what I'm putting forward here to Gabe, you're not going to be listening to this, but I'll say, hey, Gabe, listen to this, right? If you're asking for a dev to pay £100 to get a game on your store, that £100 can quite easily go towards someone playing that game for at least a couple of hours to see if it is worthy to put on the system. I mean, obviously, they they, they say, you know, there's so much we can't afford to pay people. If you're paying £100, I mean, even if you just get a bunch of interns and just pay them, you know, $10 an hour, that means they could play 10 of these games for the price of one game going up for an hour, and then at least get human eyes on these things and just say, look, this is an asset flip, no, go away. Even if you just go, right, no, okay, refund the money to the dev, go away, we don't want it. It would would still be a better system. You know, that's a good point, because on Greenlight, you still had to pay money to get the Greenlight license to upload onto the green light storefront system but that money went to charity that money now that that money is being raised each time a single game is being listed on the system they could use that money for that uh i mean there was there was actually talk uh at a valve thing recently about using select people to influence the way that the curation stuff appeared and if kind of people volunteer almost and they tweak and finesse the system and that's a brilliant idea but i do like the idea of the fact that it should ultimately come down to at least some 
system in place like we've discussed previously kind of like has this got nudie ladies in it has this got torture porn in it has it is this actually just an asset flip is this this is this that this kind of core commandments list and a group of people that go through and check it i think that's probably the way it's gonna have to go i mean if it's not gonna be the app store or have crazy stories like this every three months yeah i mean you could even basically open this up to the steam community itself not on a vote system but say you know you have a system where you can sign up for almost like a qa position and you know every month you'll get you'll get chucked three or four games just saying have a have a play of this fill out this simple form send it back and we'll give you steam credit for each one you do or something simple like that you could just you could outsource this to the community easily and i think Mm. it would be i I don't know i mean obviously there's still the possibility of corruption there but if it was it was all done kind of internally by valve and it was done on a completely random basis like you know we've got ten thousand people signed up for this program we'll send it to these 15 at random and then we'll send this game to this 15 people at random you could you could easily set something like that up, and I can guarantee you there would be hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people that would be perfectly happy to do that. the The issue is uh, the judgment of those people. I mean that's that's the big issue here because I won't like certain games. Other people won't like certain games. So you'd need to give to a diverse group. Well, yeah, that's that's what I mean. But... That. But, um, but then you, you could easily set up some kind of algorithm on the system that checks what's in people's libraries and what they play the most and just go, right, this game's going to be okay for this person. This game's going to be okay for this person. They've got all that data. That's true. That's very true. This this could be the start of a proper curation system. Yeah. An actual reliance on the community that play the games to check the games. It's most. It's going to be a hard thing to implement. But I think for Valve to keep control of the tides, they're going to have to implement something like this, either a community-led curation system or their own curation system. One is very expensive. One puts a lot of trust into the community, but they need to decide on one or the other because while they're lumbering around in limbo, they, you know, aren't making any progress. Yep. Anyway, we'll just finish off this pro- this uh, segment by saying uh, this idea is trademark 2017 Terry Jeffries. Uh, Gabe, I'll just ask for 5%. Right. <laughs> Let's move on to Cuphead. Toby asked the question, has anyone played Cuphead? I certainly have. Has anyone else? <laughs> oh, you've done it now. <laughs> Oh, you see, yeah, what just... you did there is you asked the question of a group of people that all have very diverse opinions about Cuphead, and then only Terry's coming in <laughs> of all of that group of four or five people plan. who were discussing it. <laughs> yes, I think potentially this will be a very one-sided <laughs> conversation. <laughs> oh, well... So have either of you played it, or is it is it literally just me in this nope. trio? Uh, that might be an interesting of, topic. 
as of point of recording, I'm playing it tomorrow, but I've not played it today. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, to, you know, to be honest, it is a very, very good game. It is absolutely gorgeous. The animation is superb. The music is perfectly fit for the game. It's a wonderful game. It's just hard. And I'm not talking Dark Souls hard. I'm talking early NES hard. It is rock solid. <laughs> I cannot play it. <laughs> I've only done literally the first run and gun level and I think one boss, and that boss was done on the easy mode. And that took me probably about three hours to do. And at that point, I kind of just stopped playing it. <laughs> it's a gorgeous game, but it is just, it's not for me. It's too hard for my liking. But I, I mean, thought... I've, I've seen people do speedrunners of the game in like 35 minutes and it looked really good. And I've also noticed there are some things where you can really be cheap and cheat the game out of things, like literally jumping over a boss at the end of a second run and gun level. You can just literally go right over his head and just finish the level. But I'm not going to be overly negative about it because I know it's my terrible uh, gaming ability that is stopping me from really enjoying it. But if you love the game, I completely appreciate it. I appreciate your reference to tough NES games. I like that that's become a thing recently as a reaction to the whole, you know, everyone saying Dark Souls every five minutes thing. You look at old games like Ninja Gaiden, and it took us, you know, a long old time to complete it, and Mega Man even, and we learned through failure. Nowadays, we have a lot more games. And so it's easy to just move on to the next one. And it's easy to actually say, you know what, this is too hard for me. You don't want to kind of almost, well, you do want to get your money's worth, but you don't want to, you know, keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I'm not going to pick up anything else until I've done this. Cuphead's bosses look ridiculously hard. That's my real taking from it. The platforming side of it, I could do that. I might suffer a little bit, but I could do that. I could get better at it. I could advance, you know. I can say that about most games. I can I can keep pushing. I can learn its quirks if I put enough time into it in, in big blocks. I don't interrupt it with other gameplay. But its bosses, they look like beasts. That I've seen two or three kind of sped up uh, playthroughs of people suffering against the bosses. And they look like multi-phase affairs. You know, they look like they drain your health when they change into new forms. They they look like these horrible, lethal things. Uh, is that the case with the first boss, the one that you played? Yeah, not really. I mean, they are multi-stage, uh, certainly. Um, the, the boss that I managed to do, when you do it on easy mode, apparently it's... I mean, this boss has normally got three phases. You only have to do the first two. So it was okay. But I mean, they they didn't drain your energy when they when they changed form. Only if you're in a bad position, because like the first one, it starts off as a small, small blue slime and then gets about four times as big. And if you're anywhere nearby, yeah, you're going to you're going to get hit. But it is also that, that some of the bosses are massive and some of their attacks will cover half the screen easy. And if you're in the wrong place, you, you're not going to get out of the way quick enough. But I mean, it's something that, that Lewis brought up is that a lot of these bosses, whereas when you're looking at them, they, they might seem very hard and, you know, they, they seem a bit crazy. There are clearly defined patterns in all of them. 
So it is very much a case of learning those patterns and knowing what to do in each particular situation. Yes, there's a little bit of randomness to it because usually the bosses will react to where you are. But if you know how to game it a little bit, then you should be okay. But I'm older and my reactions have slowed down quite a bit and I just <laughs> can't get my head around most of them, to be honest. You sound like you want to shift over to strategy games. That's what you want to do with the cool kids like me. I must admit, you know what? I've still not played Mario vs. Uh, Rabbids. I need, to, I need to get on that. You should, really. And then you can hop onto XCOM, which is like <laughs> the Dark Souls of something. If it is hard, like Dark Souls of something, I won't enjoy it. I don't play hard games anymore. I can't it, do it. It's not. It's honestly very rewarding. It's just that much like... Uh, well, actually, no. It is because Dark Souls is all about timing and risk. The difference is that in XCOM, uh, much like in... Uh, Heat signature, which you've touched on recently, it's all about timing. But the difference is that the timing is slowed down because there's almost a turn-based element to it. In the in heat signature, you can pause, and in XCOM, there's actually a turn-based element to it. So you can still think as tactically as you used to, but uh, but well, you can still do that. It's just because the world is paused. But yeah, no, maybe I just caught a few unfortunate videos of Cuphead. Like I said, I'm going to give it a go tomorrow. I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to enjoy it at least. Swear a couple of times as I get used to it, but yeah, I mean, bear in as, mind it's, it's, it's not a long game either. No. So yeah, like I said, I've seen people do speed runs of it, and it's not a, really a game where you can save really that much time. You know, it's. And, and there's no real major glitches in it or anything like that. And I've seen, you know, the world records are about 34 minutes. All bosses. So it's not a majorly long game. It's just, it's, I hate to say it, but it's kind of like almost artificially hard because you have got that learning curve of learning the bosses and learning how to do it and knowing where the enemies are coming from in the run and gun levels. And once you know it, you can skip through it. But yeah, the the difficulty no. comes from that that learning curve of knowing the levels. That's fair. That's completely fine. I mean, uh, two of my favorite—I suppose you can call them platformers—but two of my favorite, two of my favorite games were uh, for the Masters Mirror were Bonanza Bros, where you're actually provided with a map, and so the second you got in, you could go right, you go this way, I'll go this way, we'll do this. And the other one was Sonic Chaos, which is a often forgotten Sonic game. And the thing with Sonic Chaos is that it's once you've played it a couple of times, it feels like every single boss, there's an exploit. There's a certain place that you can hit that boss where you'll bounce up in the air just long enough that you'll hit the boss again in the right place. And so it's kind of like when you've played that kind of original Kirby game so often that you know that some moves are going to strike at you and some strike, some moves are going to miss you because they're following your system. You just kind of learn that. And I can I can deal with that kind of platforming. So yeah, I'm I'm hoping to uh, to as a slightly side note next week on the podcast just matter. Cuphead was good, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, I know I know one of your other favourite games is a, is a very much a learn where everything comes from, and that's Rolling Thunder. Oh, yeah, that's that. I mean, obviously that predates the Master System, but. But yeah, no, that's an that's an exceptional game, and and yeah, I mean that uh, that very much 
it was very much an arcade game, and it followed yeah. the same systems as the arcade game. As obviously, there was no randomness to it, was there? It was just literally this enemy would appear at this point on the screen at this point, da, 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 and it was once you learn yeah. it, you could just blast through it. Yeah, and you you as well as that, you started. It, it kind of taught you to doubt certain elements. Like I know everybody often cites Mega Man as the game that kind of teaches you a system before you reach it in a threatening manner. But Rolling Thunder, much like a lot of the arcade games kind of made you doubt the door and doubt the pots and doubt the this and doubt the that and 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 yeah you felt smart as you got further in that game and and that sounds like what cuphead does with the exception of obviously you know what i feared i guess from the bosses which were these big multi multi-phase bosses that were unfair when they transitioned to a new system that you just got used to but yeah we'll see I'll tell you what, just, just on, on Cuphead, um, there is a feature in it that is missing that I think they should have added, and it's, it came from a video that I watched uh, earlier on today. Um, it was on it was an LGR video, Lazy Game Reviews, and uh, he actually plugged his Xbox into an old black and white CRT TV uh-huh. and played Cuphead on it, and it looked amazing. Because obviously the thing is they've you know they've gone they've gone and gone we've we've made this in the 1930s style of animation. They didn't have color then. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the thing when you when you look at it, it's got thick outlines. You know, there's no two colors that are next to each other that are particularly close to each other. There's no there's no fading. It's like uh, any cell shaded game. Like the first Borderlands would probably look all right in black and white. Because it had that shell, uh, yeah, cell shaded style to it. Yeah. But yeah, Cuphead looks perfect because of that. Yeah, but oh, I think I think mm-hmm. you know it, it'd be a very simple thing for them to just put in the options menu, black and white mode. And if, I think it just it it captures the style even better if you see it in black and white. But that's 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 just that. So. Right. So let's move on. So next up, we've got. Um, a real image of an assassinated diplomat in the newest Telltale Batman episode. Oh gosh! Is there, someone's going to get their their bottom slap for that? I think <laughs> if they find out who put it in there. So yeah, at, earlier on in the year, one of the uh, there was a Russian diplomat who was shot in Turkey. Uh, there was a picture that circulated on a lot of news networks of the offender, a former police officer, I believe, standing in the background opening fire on someone. And in the foreground, this well-respected Russian diplomat lay in shot dead. And it, I, I believe it was in an art gallery. In the least, it was in a very kind of sterile and clean yeah, place made gallery. for receiving guests. It was in an art gallery, yeah. So... At some point, presumably, I don't, I don't fully know. Somebody has kind of used a transparency effect on the background, removed the assailant, uh, and so had this kind of like downed man in an image that has become a stock image. I don't know. I mean, maybe they required by maybe just the picture was photo edited after someone searched for something at Telltale, but I. I have no idea how people source these things it, on that side of the industry, but either way, this picture, and it is quite literally 
you know, exactly that shot of the guy downed. Uh, well, not downed. He was he was shot dead. You know, has has ended up embedded into a scene of a guard and a bank manager shot and a bank vault cracked open uh, that Harlequin is embedded into, I suppose, which is conveyed to the character in the second episode of Telltale's Batman. And it's a bit of a, it's it's just a bit of a weird thing. You know, gaming is never boring, as they say, or gaming news is never boring. There's always something weird and new come up. And, and this is, uh, this is crazy. It doesn't normally happen on this side of the industry. Normally it's, you know, it's it's traditional news outlets grabbing a random logo for, from Halo and using it as a logo for something or something like that. But yeah, this is just it's just weird. Well, Very it depends. Weird. I mean, and, we, yeah. in in the gaming industry, we tend not to get you know, like you say, with news outlets, or grab a random image and, and just chuck it up. But I th- I think when it comes to games. I'm not saying this is intentional because I really don't think this is, but obviously a lot of time in games you get developers, the cheeky little devils, they they, they, they try and sneak stuff into the game. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the the alien with his man parts out on a poster in, a, in the back of a mini golf game. <clears throat> but, I mean... <sighs> I kind of agree with you, Dan. I think this is probably they've they've just Google image searched something and it's just come up randomly. I can't because of the macabre nature of it. I can't see this being a dev trying to sneak a random image into a game. Otherwise, that's a, a, a rather twisted individual, I'd say, that would do something like that. Oh, normally, yeah. normally, if something's hidden in a game, it's a bit cheeky, a bit off the cuff, maybe a bit risque. But I mean, this is straight up disturbing. I I honestly think that this is that some third party individual has taken a downed a downed person or a shot person assassinated person and has seen them laying like that and uploaded it as a stock image somewhere. I mean obviously Telltale are within their rights to not disclose where they got it from. They're in their rights to not say kind of like this is an issue here, there, they're in their rights to kind of pull that down, adapt it and change it and they're doing that. You know they're going to issue an update that will get rid of that image, but it's it's the fact that it's just a strange thing. Yeah, it, it is an odd one, and I mean, yeah, they've obviously they've released that they're going to release the update, but I don't think that we're going to hear any more. I think they'll they'll keep the rest of it internal. I I agree. I doubt that someone on the team has consciously gone out of their way to to try and put that image in. Uh which would infer that somebody has uploaded it onto, yeah, some kind of stock image repository and it's just been purchased for $50 or whatever or $60 full rights distribution and been put into the game. So there's there's a chance that there's someone out there who's just made some money off of photoshopping an image of a dead diplomat. And so... The fault is either with that person or with, you know, the person that, you know, if it was someone at Telltale who didn't do their job properly and just literally Google image searched it, then that's a massive problem because you can find all sorts of things on Google image search and the vast majority of them have rights protected. And what if you get pulled up by a lawyer? You know, it's just this is literally one of the most miserable or macabre, as you said, situations. 
yeah, if it was a stock image company, then there's somebody out there who's making money off of a, a person being assassinated. And if it was mm. somebody internally, then it's someone who's being paid and not doing their job correctly. Uh. Yeah, definitely an odd situation. But personally, I think we, 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 we've heard the last of it. I don't think we'll ever know <clears throat> who was actually responsible for the image. They will suppress that now. So, anyway, let's move on to our, our last topic of the day. <clears throat> and that is Skyrim's new survival mode and Bethesda's potentially underhanded tactics behind it. This is weird. So, I'll take this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got points to bring up as well, but yeah. You, you we know on. about Bethesda's Creation Club. Uh, we discussed that previously. And we discussed ownership and what happens when mods become paid for. Are they no longer available for free-to-play people? We presume not. Are they going to stop updates? Whatever, whatever. But basically, a new uh, update, or sorry, a new mod has become available via the creation club uh, which is labeled as survival mode it's a mod that's free for the next two weeks and then it's going to cost and from everything that i've heard about half a dozen people describe it sounds just like frostfall and i lowercase need uh combined together which are two fairly popular mods that cover well pretty much everything in the survival mode yeah so just to, just to give you um, give people a bit of a <clears throat> an update so frostfall made the weather system in skyrim uh, a bit more realistic so certain regions obviously when you play the game you visually you see that some places are colder than others there are some places that are nicely lush and green or you know generally not particularly cold like uh, riven is is fairly nondescript and it's just sort of out there in the wilderness but then places like Winterfell is completely covered in snow. Frostfall makes it so the differences in weather actually makes a difference to your character. And if you're in a very cold area, you will feel it and will have to wear specific clothing and specific armours to, to combat that climate change. And I need added in uh, thirst and hunger mechanics. So you would, you know, not just to get your energy back, you would eat food, but you'd, you would get hungry. And you would get thirsty, so you would have to keep an eye on those meters and drink and eat at the correct times. Otherwise, you suffer certain debuffs and things. And these are all things that are now in the standard survival mode. Now, you could say that they've, t they've ripped off a couple of mods, which I suppose technically they have. But then if you, if you look back, some of these features were in Fallout New Vegas. That had a survival mode. It did. Where you needed to drink and eat. So they've kind of been in the full games, the games that Bethesda have done before anyway. Obsidian. Oh, more Obsidian, yeah. <clears throat> was there a survival mode in 3? There wasn't, was there? It was just New I Vegas. I don't believe so, no. Uh, Fallout New Vegas from Obsidian was exceptional and easy to... But yeah. But I mean, even, mm. even Fallout 4 had a survival mode as well. Did it? It was added later as a free update again, but it was again it was something that wasn't modded in and it was just added to the game. I should probably give that game more time <clears throat> at some point. It just rubbed me the wrong way. Well, I still gave it probably a good thirty odd hours, but yeah. I've played through it till all the for all the different endings, so I've given it enough of my time. Although I haven't got all the DLC, so I'll give it a go at some point. But anyway, so 
So yes, potentially this is a bit underhanded because there are there were already mods available for free to be able to do this in in Skyrim. But as I've brought up before, there is and I haven't checked this, but I'm pretty sure I've looked it up before. And there is a clause in the EULA for the Elder Scrolls construction kit that basically says anything you make with it is pretty much Bethesda's. They own it. Because it's made from their stuff, using their software, they own it. So from a legal standpoint, they're perfectly within their rights to do this. But from a moral and community standpoint, it's a bit of a shady move. But we always suspected that Bethesda were going to go one extreme or the other. They were going... I mean, the initial argument was, hey, mods for our games, you know, we should make money for this, but the creators should make money for this. What if this is just part of that? I mean, I looked up the developer of Frostfall, and they've been pretty much quiet since earlier on in the year. There's a chance that they've been brought in by Bethesda. There's a chance that they've been paid a whole bunch of money. And, you know, they're sitting giggling in their, you know, bouncy castle made of gold. Is that, <laughs> is that a thing? I don't think that's a thing. Not yet, at least. But, yeah, they're golden bouncy castle. So there is that. But, yeah, it's, it's odd because the modding scene was always respectful to the original developers because they were building onto it after all they weren't overhauling the entire game and even overhauls are respectful to the original developer but yeah and i mean if you you look at things like skyrim and you if you play the original game with no mods in it that game's broken <laughs> that's rude I mean, there's a lot of stuff in that game that is fundamentally broken, and that's why the most popular mods you download are the unofficial Skyrim patch and the unofficial Dragonborn patch and everything else, <laughs> which fixes a lot of the inbuilt inherent problems that Bethesda did not fix. True, and I suppose your your point of discussion would be that one day they could go, hey, thanks for making this mod, that's our mod now. Yeah, well, I mean... We're going to issue it to people for free. Technically, they've done it before as well. Like There, there was the official Skyrim high-res packs, which you could download before as a mod. Yeah, see, if it was exactly the same files, I'd see your point on that one, but then it does make sense that Bethesda would issue the new ones. Uh, the, the issue is, I suppose, digital distribution, because all of a sudden mods can be just distributed over the internet. You know, a few years ago when it was a bit more complicated than that and you had to download a patch through a website and everything was an awkward clunky downloading a mirror of this and a mirror of that. When it when it was like that, they used to just hire the modder because, let's face it, anybody who's modding that kind of stuff in deserves a job in the industry. They have the initiative and the attitude to deliver that kind of content. Yep. Whereas, whereas yeah, possibly, I don't know. I do still respect Bethesda for what they've done and what they do every time they release a game, even the games they publish, even Dick Marchenko's, I can't remember what it was called now, the uh, the Navy Seals game. But yeah, even stuff like that, and you know when they published in Exiles game, and when they published Splash Damages Brink, you know many kudos to to Bethesda, but this does just seem a bit odd. Yeah, they, to be honest, they need to be more transparent in, in what actually went on. So, you know, if they have brought in the, the, the developer of the mod for, to him to make it official, for, for tell everyone. No one's going to be upset. You don't have to hide behind it. People are more upset that they think you're ripping people off. Just come out and say, look, 
this developer, we bought him in, we paid him a bunch of cash. He he built it officially for us, and we sat with him and made it made it official. Yeah, I mean, That's if fine. they brought if they brought in the mods, if they brought in the developer of those two mods, then then surely most people should be happy that they've just acquired such dedicated people onto their team, and that eventually when they make Elder Scrolls Nine or 10 or 15 or 25 they'll have these people on their team yeah exactly uh, it... these people with that initiative to do that kind of thing you know blimey one day a modder might make it so that you can have a conversation with three people at once or you walk into a room and people actually discuss what's going on in the room rather than elsewhere and they've navigate you know there's a lot of potential for those games they're over you know they're overwhelming they're great whenever they come out they completely magnetize and hypnotize people but you know modders deliver that especially for games of that scale modders deliver that transition between one iteration and the next and so bringing them on board to actually develop the next one that's brilliant i mean you look at the civilization series civilization four and five were headed up by former modders who were brought on board yeah. well obviously there's loads of things that have happened sonic mania it was, exactly. made, it was made by a couple of teams from the community that used to make sonic rom hacks and they've come out and made the best sonic game in 20 years exactly and well, the biggest, one, that, the biggest yeah. one for me is is minecraft so yes. with minecraft um you know they back in the day there used to be a mod called dr zark's mo creatures and it added a bunch of animals to the game including horses before horses were in minecraft a few iterations this- later Horses turned up in Minecraft, and everyone's going, "Oh, you've stolen this from Doctor Zark!" But there you go, in the build notes, horses provided by Doctor Zark. They put it in the build notes that Doctor Zark agreed with them to let them have the horses, and he helped them program them into the game. That's why they Dr. look Zark. and sound exactly the same as the, the Mo Creatures version. Doctor Zark paid royally. I hope it said. I know. But... I, I, I don't know the official line of it, but but it was all above board. And now, I mean. For a long time, there's been talk of of, of 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 an official modding API for Minecraft. Now it is now being developed. Unfortunately, not for the good slash real version of Minecraft, and it's being developed for the Windows 10 and Xbox versions. But, but the guy who's making the modding API is a guy called Sarge, who made Forge which every single mod for PC Minecraft is built to use. He built basically the unofficial Minecraft modding API, and now he's been bought in, works on Mojang, and he's building the official API. They've literally got the perfect person for the job. Exactly. They've got the person who's already done it just to do it again. So this is an example of it going right, much like the civilization thing. So hopefully Bethesda, I know they sometimes have an issue with transparency. Sometimes... Similarly, they stonewall things, but hopefully it will turn out that they have taken these developers on board, and that's why they've done this. And the reason they're charging a little bit in two or three weeks' time is because they're going to be supporting this with patches and updates to to have it run alongside all these other things that they're going to approve as they bring these other talented young individuals, not necessarily young, but new individuals into their team to improve their studio for future works. Mm. To be honest, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily Bethesda that's not being transparent. I think it's ZeniMax. Ah, uh, well, yes. Uh, you're not because, allowed to say that yeah. the company knows. Because I think, no, knowing how I've seen Todd Howard speak before, I think if he was given free reign, 
he would go Sean Murray on the world. He he is the kind of guy, and a lot of the people when you see them from the Bethesda uh, development side, they are the kind of people that if they split off, they will be like Ken Levine's. You know, whatever they whatever they touch will be magical. You know, I I am still waiting patiently for the next thing that he is going to announce and make. Uh, and there's a lot of people at Bethesda who are like that. You know, the the company is this hub of brilliance and excellence. It's just they have this big corporate side. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, ignoring the corporate side, if they do bring these modders in, then this could be a really good thing for the industry because those modders could then, after contributing to one game after their mod's been absorbed, they could then go, hey, look, I'm going to spin off. You know, I'm going to do a Kickstarter. I'm going to go to Fig. I'm going to go to Indiegogo. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to seek private funding. And I'm going to make this great game that I've been thinking of for five years. And and that kind of stuff, that kind of uh, big company turning out little individuals who become a company is good. And so if we can get the modding scene involved into that, being almost sucked up into that, then that's brilliant. But yeah, yeah more transparency is required. But it's also another, another example is Valve. They've done it multiple times. Like Portal was made from that game Nabacular Drop and they bought the team in and went, this is good turn it into a real game for us team fortress they got the modding team that made the quake mod bought it in here's team fortress 2 one of the biggest free-to-play first person shooters ever it's, it's a good cool. thing modders are the next generation of big developers modders modders are put simply developers well, they are. they're yeah. just uh they're just mm. the cowboys of the wild west of development indeed rather than the sheriffs yeah anyway i think that wraps it up for this week's big boss babble no i want to I want to know Toby's opinion. Oh, yeah. I think we've just woken him up. <laughs> oh, no, I've been here. It's... I'm just going to really echo the sentiment of everyone else. Going to slightly cheat. There's difficulty when talking mods, especially if there's money involved or that, but the more people programming and developing, the better, really. Unless they decide to make asset flippers. Well, Touché. Yeah. Short and to the point. Well done, Toby. But yeah, yeah. So if you, if anyone out there is listening to this and you're a budding developer, make mods, not asset flips. Thank you very much. <laughs> and on that note, that really does bring us to the end of uh, this week's big boss babble. So once again, a thank you to uh, my colleagues here. That's Dan. Uh, no problem. I still don't <laughs> understand why you thank me at the end of this. It's customary, Dan. It's just the I way just things talk, are. Well, it's very nice. Thank you for listening, people. <laughs> yes, and thank you for typing. Thank you. Right. See you next week, guys. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.